Hi folks, just a quick message before we get started on this episode. It's a bit shorter than the others because unfortunately when it came time to editing the third segment, the audio was garbled and it was just unusable. I've tried to get Malcolm back in the show here, but now I'm back to the start of his uh, his media schedule. So it's going to be probably another six or eight months before I can get back in there and, and uh, see him again. So we're a bit short on today's episode, but I promise I'll make it up to you next time. Let's get on with it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're talking to a man who sets the standard for barbecue competitors, podcasters, and YouTubers. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. In today's episode of the show, we have the one and only Malcolm Reed from Killer Hogs, How to Barbecue Right on YouTube and the How to Write and the How to Barbecue Right podcast and an incredible retail shop as well. But before we get into that, I've just got a few announcements I need to run by you first. The first is we do have our beautiful merch available for you on smokinghotconfessions.com. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, we've got stickers, we've got uh, tumblers, we've got all sorts of stuff over there. So head on there, check that out. And while you're over there, grab yourself a free copy of our ebook, The Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue. It was recently awarded by the NBBQA, so you know it's a good read. And everything in there is to take you from zero to hero in the world of backyard barbecue. So have a click around the website. A pop-up window will appear. Put your details into that and we'll shoot it straight out to your inbox for you. And a big welcome to the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community today. It's great to have everybody here. It's a group that we have over on Facebook. You can you can head along, join that. It's family-friendly, barbecue-only talk, and all the other guff is left at the door. And we'd love to have you there. Everybody's welcome. Now, if you are catching this later on on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, a subscribe, and hit that notification bell. Over on Facebook, it's all about the likes, the comments, and the shares. Over on Instagram, IGTV, we love the cute little love hearts, the comments and the follows. And if you're listening in on a podcasting app, do take two minutes, give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps to drive us up the charts. And we have been as high as number three for food in Australia and number six in America on the Apple Podcast chart. So that is absolutely massive. And that's thanks to those five-star ratings and reviews. But I think that's probably all the blah, blah, blah you need out of me for this. Let's get Malcolm in here. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Malcolm, welcome to the show, my friend. It is absolutely a privilege to have you here. Hey, thanks for the invite, Ben. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, mate. Me too. Now, I I always kick things off with the same uh, question, but I'm going to just change it a little bit for you because I know that you barbecue a lot. So what was the last thing that you barbecued just because you wanted to eat it? So not for a video or not for a a class or something like the the last barbecue meal for you that you cooked? Oh, man, it was probably some uh, smoked hot wings. I'm a wing junkie, man. I love them. We just had some wings uh, j- just uh, the, the night before last for the grand final of the football. Tell me, how do you like to do yours? Um, you know, I don't I don't get too complicated with them. I just like to get some good seasoning on them. The one thing I always do before I put them on the grill, the smoke, or anything, is I get all the moisture off of them. So I'll usually put them on a wire rack, stick them on a little uh, baking sheet, and let them set in the refrigerator and kind of air dry. I like to give them like an hour or two hours time in there. It takes all that moisture off the skin, and then I come back with a light coat of oil. 
and you could use vegetable oil, peanut oil, any kind of oil that you want to put up butter on the outside of them. You just need some fat. And that helps that skin go ahead and crisp up a little bit. It helps it brown really nice. I layer my seasonings on. Usually I'm using, uh, you know, some of my barbecue rub, but I, you know, I'll, I'll do jerk wings or I'll do some different flavors and things. But uh, most of the time if I'm smoking them, I'm using barbecue flavors. So I like my hot rub to go on there on top of that oil. And then I'll stick them in some smoke. Um, for me, uh, pecan is awesome on chicken. If you can find pecan wood, but you know, we use hickory here in the Memphis area where I'm at. Uh, we use some cherry wood sometimes, but, uh, you know, if you've, if you got access to pecan on chicken, give it a try. And then I, I put some smoke on them and I take them up till they're, you know, about everybody says 165 for chicken is where you got to have it. That's a minimum. I like my wings to go up to 185, 190. So that meat's jumping off the bone and I can, you know, I like the whole wings where I can break them in half and just get all that good juicy meat off of it. That's what it's all about. No doubt, man. That sounds amazing. What what temperature do you run your smoker at when you're doing that? Um, usually when I'm doing wings, I'm cooking 275 to 300, right in that range. I want to render that fat. You got to get the temps up a little bit to render that chicken fat that's underneath the skin. And so it makes for a better bite in your chicken and it, and it helps get that skin a little crispy too. You know, people always ask me, how do you get crispy skin on chicken on the grill or smoker? You really don't, it's not like fried. You're, not, you're never going to get that fried texture. But you can get a nice texture by using that oil and then cranking the temps up a little bit. Um, you know, some people like to, to go a little slow and, that, you know, low and slow first and then crank the temperature up at the end, and that's fine too. But I found 275 to 300 is like the – and that's uh, uh, Fahrenheit for, for you guys. I don't know if you guys are Celsius or Fahrenheit. I don't know the conversion, but everything I'm talking about is Fahrenheit. So, so uh, you know, 275 to 300. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. We do cook uh, using both here in Australia because most of us learnt from watching your barbecue channel and uh, barbecue pit boys, and so uh, all the all the learning material is taught in, in in Fahrenheit. So most of us speak both Fahrenheit and Celsius. So, and uh, it, it, there's actually a huge online debate as to whether the food tastes better if you cook it in Celsius or Fahrenheit. But we won't get into that here. Um, <laughs> So I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that you have access to a huge range of different smokers. What's your favorite one? Um, you know, favorite one, I'm, I'm loving cooking on a stick burner now because it's more of about building that fire and controlling those temperatures and getting the airflow right and having to sit with it and add sticks. Um, if I had to pick one right now, I'm probably going to say my stick burner. But you, if you've heard any of the stuff I've talked about before, I have one that's an old hickory. Uh, pit and it's uh you know it's not a stick burner pit it's like an upright with different shelves and it's my money maker pit if anything ever happened i know i can fill that thing up and start me up a barbecue stand or a food truck and i can i can feed my family keep the lights on with that pit so that's always probably you know in the back of my mind that's number one but fun to cook on you can't beat a stick burner yeah it's nice to have that that engagement with the process isn't it that's right so man let, let's get into two killer hogs, your, your your competition team. I read online that it started in 2002, but then I was listening to a podcast you did with uh, Meet, Meet James, Meet James, Meet David, Meet Dave, and yeah, uh, yeah. you you said 2000. So I'm just just wondering when you when you started it off. So those early years are kind of blurry. <laughs> we, did a, we did a lot of good partying back then, but you know, so we started, uh, killer hogs is right now it's me and my brother and my wife, Rochelle and, uh, me and Waylon have been cooking, uh, under killer hogs for a long time. It started out killer hogs was 
was a group of older gentlemen that were um, um, da- dads and friends of some buddies of ours, and we hung out with them at barbecue festivals. Our, our local town in South Haven had one called uh, South Haven Spring Fest, and it was just a, a big barbecue event. There was a carnival. There was all kinds of fun things to do. And so I grew up going to that contest and hanging out. Well, those guys, um, they got tired of doing all the hard work and the cooking, and they asked us, and we were, you know, we were probably, you know, late teenagers, high school, or, you know, just out of high school. They asked us if we wanted to come and, and, and learn how to, you know, cook some of the competition stuff. Basically, we'd be their labor. And so we all, <laughs> we all jumped on them because we usually got to slip a few beers in while we were doing that. So that's kind of how it all started. And um, eventually those guys – decided to retire and me and my brother asked if we could just you know keep the killer hogs name and keep on cooking and we did we we know we had a bunch of buddies that would cook with us and it was like it was like a big tailgate for 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 a ball game or something like that you know that's the way these contests were back then we were always just having a big party and we weren't the best cooks because we still had so much to learn but you know those were the early days and that's what made it so much fun to me that's how i got hooked on it yeah, right. And so were you into cooking and food before you got into that as a teenager? Like, were you taking some of those, uh, in Australia, we'd call them home ec classes in high school? Or like, were you learning a lot from your parents? Or was it something that you just sort of got into because of the party aspect of it? Well, in the South where I grew up, um, all of your big family events usually were barbecues. So, so we kind of took it for granted that we grew up around a barbecue grill or smoker. I can remember as early child, you know, my dad and uncle staying outside and cooking hogs overnight, you know, and it being just a big ordeal that, you know, it was a lot of fun and it was family and it was friends. And that's what barbecue was to us. So that part came natural. Um, when I got old enough to get my first job, I went to work for a, a fast food restaurant called Sonic. I don't know if you guys have Sonics, but it's like, you know, it's like a burger and fry shake type joint. And so I, st- I had some early experience working in kitchens and working around different types of foods. I worked at some pizza joints. I worked at a steakhouse, you know, so I had, I had some different experience going in and that definitely helped me. I've never been culinary trained, but, um, you know, watching my mom and my grandmas and my dad, my uncles, you know, stuff like that, I kind of picked up and learned, you know, I'm a big guy. I kind of know what tastes good. You could, you you could tell I don't shy away from anything. So I'd like to think I've had a, you know, I had a pretty good palate going in and could kind of um, barbecue just kind of felt natural. So that's, that's what made it, uh, you know, that's what made, I think helped, uh, helped me excel in it a lot. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned Sonic. My, my wife's American and we, we went back to America a few years ago and, uh, I, I said, okay, what do you want to do while, while we're here? And she said, I want to get a Sonic hot dog. And so we just found, found the nearest highway and just drove down the highway till we found a highway side Sonic and, uh, and went in and had, uh, basically build your own hot dogs in there. It was pretty cool. We don't have them yeah, in Australia. Yeah. With the jalapenos and the onions, all that good stuff on it. <laughs> yeah, really good. Uh, best hot dogs I've ever had, actually. I'm not a huge hot dog guy, but uh, that was good. They were good. So you, you, you mentioned that you uh, got into competitions around sort of 20 years ago, um, which must have been not long after the competition scene sort of started. My understanding is it sort of started around the mid-90s. Tell us the story of your first competition. Well, the, the first competition we had was actually the South Haven Spring Fest. And I remember, um, you know, I remember going, we were cooking um, in what was called a, the backyard division or the amateur division. And we had to cook ribs. We had to cook uh, pork butts. And, um, you know, we, we, we had a, 
course back then we thought they were great you know looking back at it i'm sure i'm sure it was not that great but we noticed all these teams were bringing out all their trophies and showcasing them setting up tables so we went and got all of our sports trophies and car show trophies <laughs> trophy that we had, we brought to the barbecue contest and we set us up a big table um i, I want to say uh Somebody somebody brought a, a big keg of beer, and so, you know, it was a fun time. We probably, I don't even know if I was old enough to legally drink the beer then, but somehow it found its way in my cup, and, you know, we, we've had, we've had a, a lot of fun. At that. I still remember that contest. It was so much fun, and that's what got me hooked on the, com, the competition side of it. Uh, we didn't get any kind of calls or, you know, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't win any trophies that contest, but it wasn't long after that we finally did. Uh, we started cooking in all the ancillary contests, which that's anything other than the major barbecues. So most most of these contests, they'll do um, side dishes like uh, it might be chili, it might be beans, it might be dessert, it might you know. There's all different things. Well, one particular contest we cooked was red beans and rice, and so that was a you know that that was a big thing that I love to cook red beans and rice. So I had another buddy that had a surefire recipe, and so we teamed up and entered red beans and rice and we got first place in red beans and rice at this contest and you would have thought we won grand champion of the whole thing man. <laughs> but we were even more hooked and so as the years went on we uh you know we started getting calls in the in the bigger divisions in the meat divisions and once we thought we had it figured out that was when we decided we needed to get more serious and cut back on the party and and really concentrate on, on our barbecue skills yeah yeah now did anybody actually call you out on putting up those sporting trophies at the uh, at the barbecue comp, or did they just sort of walk past and go, "Oh, wow, that's cool," and keep going? I, they did. They didn't back then. I guess they just thought, "Look at these, uh, you know, young punks. They're out here. They don't know what they're doing. They probably just laugh." But I don't think nobody would call us out back then. We were a little rowdy too, so we probably would have backed it up. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. And so how, how long was it really then un, until you, uh, until you got good? Uh, I would say 2006 is when things really changed for us. We, um, that was our first year to cook in Memphis in May. And, um, they had the, uh, patio porkers division, which is the division that you have to cook right before you step up to be a professional in Memphis in May. And Memphis in May, if, if you don't know, is the world pork cooking championship. Uh, teams come from all over the world. You know, every, every just about every state in the United States has a representation, and everybody comes to Memphis for this one time every every May. And it's still been going on. We've been cooking it every year since '06. Well, we we competed in the the patio porker division, and we won first place. And so, what that meant automatically, not only did we win about forty five hundred dollars, we had to turn pro. And so, from that point forward, we knew that if we cooked, we had to cook against all these pros. So we started doing our homework and we started traveling and we would go cook ribs all over the, the Southeast. And, and that's what, you know, that's what really changed us from being that big party type team, just there to have a good time to really getting serious and trying to compete with the big guys. And so that next 2007 year, you know, we, we just laid it all out and we started, we started getting calls and started winning. And then we started, you know, doing other things and we, we finally decided to thinking about, 08 or 09 back in there to start doing KCBS contest because they weren't that big in our part of the country. Uh, you know, KCBS was growing still then. And then we decided that, um, you know, the, the Memphis and May side was, was just pork. We wanted to cook other categories too. 
So we 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 kind of ventured over and started just primarily doing KCBS contests, and then we started cooking 25, 30 contests a year, really traveling and having a good time. And so we you know we we uh we lost a lot of team members over the years because you know as you as you start getting serious and and all that you know the the, the fun time is, is is you know you don't have you don't have the the resources and people don't want to hang out with you when you're trying to be all serious and not you know not uh, carry on. But we uh. Me and Wayland stuck it out, and I met my wife, and she's jumped in there with us, and that's that's really been the key to our success. Wow, that's a that's a pretty cool story about how all the how all the family got involved. And did you actually meet your wife at a barbecue competition? Um, I didn't meet her at a barbecue contest, but I met her talking about a barbecue contest. We were at a local pub, and um, we just had some mutual friends, and we were there planning the the next Spring Fest event. It was you know late winter. And we were needing a big grill to uh, to feed people because back then we always, you know, besides the contest, we cooked tons of food and just gave it away. You know, everybody that came in and hung out with us got to eat. And so we needed a big event type grill. And this this young lady that was hanging out with us spoke up and said her father has one of these big grills and she's sure that he, he would let us borrow it. So I was like, oh, yeah, well, let's see. And so, yeah, sure enough. They brought that grill up there. We got to use it, and I, I fell in love immediately. <laughs> I I dare say, mate, you're in a you're in a bar. There's a pretty girl. She likes barbecue. Her father likes barbecue. That's a done deal. That's <laughs> match made in smoke, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, when you turned pro around 2006, 2007, after you won that uh, that patio porker comp, when was your first big win after that against the 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 big guys, as you were saying, and, and who were those big guys at the time? Um, you know, it was probably in ribs at one of the local contests. Uh, I remember we were up in Kennett, Missouri. We made finals and we won first place in ribs. And that was back when, when Myron Mixon was cooking, uh, you know, Pete and Melissa from Memphis barbecue was cooking John David Wheeler, all those, all the big names that you may have heard from the Memphis or, you know, the Memphis and May area, um, were there. And that, you know, those guys traveled those circuits and we, and that's kind of how, you know, we took our lumps. We would go out and we would compete against those guys and you didn't have any choice, but to get better at what you were doing. So that was, you know, that was our primary focus. We weren't cooking whole hogs at the time. We were just concentrating on ribs, but that was the great thing about that style of cooking. You didn't have to cook all the categories to, to be in for the running for grand champion. All you had oh, to wow. do was pick and so that was a big difference between KCBS and, and Memphis and May style cooking was in KCBS, you have to cook all four categories and it's kind of a little cumulative, you know, your, your, your scores totaled up again, all four. Well, the Memphis and May just won it one single category. You can win the whole thing if you're that good with it. So, and that's kind of how we learned as we got good in ribs, we added whole pork shoulder. And as we got good in whole pork shoulder and won enough money, we bought us a hog rig and we started cooking whole hogs. And so it took several years to, you know, to, to do all that. It wasn't just an overnight success. There wasn't, uh, back then, you know, the internet wasn't as big. You didn't have, you know, you didn't have YouTube. You didn't have people, you know, giving away the secrets. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of classes or anything you could take. You just kind of had to learn. And that's what we did. We kind you know, we, we went out and we put in the work and effort. And then, then as we, you know, started developing, that's when I started trying to give away secrets and help people out and people started hating that. <laughs> but now look, everybody does it. So, yeah, yeah, hard work and determination certainly pays off. Now, throughout all that all that time, all those competitions, have you ever had a moment where you felt like, oh, 
I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. Like, like have, you ever, have you ever had a moment of like, I think I'm going to give up competition barbecue? Cause I think, I think all, all competitors, you sort of, you push and you push and you push. And eventually everybody has that moment where they go, Ugh. I, you know, I think I've definitely had that moment. I think it was about nine weeks in on a, on a 16 week run, you know, it was like a little over a halfway. It's like, man, we're fools. Why are we doing this? We're killing ourselves week in and week out. We're not, you know, our, every weekend's tied up. It's like, we're just on a, you know, uh, rinse repeat type cycle of everything we're doing. And you get, you do get burnt out. Um, I've seen it happen to a lot of people. I mean, you, you think it's just cooking barbecue that it's something you just, you could do forever, but it's, it's easy when, when it gets monotonous and you're doing the same thing over and over it takes some of the fun out. And I, that's kind of, that's when I really turned to my YouTube channel and cooking different things and getting away from just cooking, uh, you know, competition style that kept the interest going. So it still kept me interested in competition barbecue too, but it let me focus some of that energy other places too. And I think that that was a big help for me just because I love to cook. Yeah. So you, you were able to find another uh, opportunity for that creativity. Exactly. Nice, nice. Now, I understand that you recently hosted your own competition for the very first time. The, uh, the, um, it was in your, your hometown, I understand. Tell us about that. That's right. It was, um, I, I live in Hernando now, which is just outside of Memphis, kind of a suburb of Memphis, Tennessee. It's actually in Mississippi across the state line, but we're not far from Memphis. And um, they've, they've had this contest, the Water Tower Festival, every fall. It's usually in September. Um, for man, as long as I can remember, you know, it, probably all of my cooking career, um, it's never been, it's always been like a local, I would call it a backyard style competition. There wasn't, there wasn't, um, any payout, you know, they gave some trophies out, but it was mainly for local bragging rights. And we used to cook in it. Uh, it was always a lot of fun. It was one that, you know, your buddies came out and it was just, you know, who could cook the best ribs, who could cook the best steak, whatever. And, um, since, uh, we opened up a business here in our hometown. That's where our retail shop is. Um, the, the city, the chamber of commerce asked us if we would, um, uh, you know, want to volunteer to help them kind of organize or run that contest to make it better. And we jumped on it. That's something that, that me and my wife have wanted to do for a long time because, uh, being on the cook side and the organizing side is totally different. You don't, you know, um, we, we have these ideas of how we would love to see a contest run from a cook standpoint which they don't always translate to, to a financial way of how a city or an organization needs to do it. So we brought some of that knowledge over to help them, you know, with the judging, with the, you know, doing all the behind the scenes stuff that nobody wants to do, the organizing of it. And it was, I will say it, it um, you know, it was a lot more work than I ever anticipated because, you know, from the <laughs> we, just know we show up on the day of and, you know, you get your meat and you go to cooking and then when you go pack up and go home when it's over, well, from, we, it took us months to plan it. And then the day it was there, it was all hands on deck. And then you have to, you know, do everything to get the scores tabulated and all that for the end of the day. And you want to make sure it runs right. You want to make sure it's fair and square for everybody. But uh, we were, we, we were actually able to ha host the, the most teams that that contest had ever had. Um, there, it went off without a hitch. I mean, people loved it. We did a little survey after it and kind of was getting people's feedback just so, we know if we get the chance to help out next year, what we could do better, what teams liked. Um, we actually got to pay out some money this year. Um, it was a thousand dollar rib shootout. So we played first, second, third. Um, I think it was 1,500 and 250 in ribs. 
and then we did steak and we did chicken, uh, chicken hot wings there. And so we, you know, we, we had payouts for those categories. So it was a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to do it every weekend. I'd rather cook than organize. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Right, so as well as uh, as um, Killer Hogs, you've also got uh, the massive brand How to Barbecue Right. You've got your YouTube channel, you've got your podcast, um, so many different things going on there. Can you tell us about how you got into YouTube and, and, and How to Barbecue Right? Yeah, that so the how to barbecue right aspect really came from my wife. She was um, working um, back in internet marketing back when I met her first, and so she had some background. Um, this was way before YouTube, um, and so we were doing. She 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 always heard me um, hanging out, me and my brother hanging out with our buddies or on the phone whenever we were talking to somebody or chit chatting. It was always about barbecue, and so she t- she said that we needed to start a website. And, you know, where we talked about barbecue and I, you know, I kind of blowed her off. I said, nobody's going to watch, you know, who wants to see some guys talk about barbecue, <laughs> whatever. Nobody's going to watch that. Right. No, nobody wants to know that. Nobody's going to spend their time doing it. And, but I, but I went along with her and she said, you know, we're just going to do a newsletter. That was the first thing. Well, the first thing was actually the website. We started killerhogs.com first and it was a way for us to kind of share uh, what was going on at contests, mainly pictures. We didn't really do recipes or anything like that, but it just showed behind the scenes and there was no product for sale or anything. It was just, it was just like a way to put photos up and share it with people. And then she said, well, let's do, you know, the newsletter. And I said, well, you don't want to do it under killer hogs. She said, we need a, we need a different name. And I said, well, I don't really know. I'm not good at coming up with names. How about how to barbecue, right? And she's like, well, it ain't the best name. And I said, well, you know, we don't have anything else. Let's just go with it. See if anybody bought that domain. And so she said, no, how to barbecue ride is, is available. I said, all right, well, let's get that and start there. And so, and she said, why how to barbecue right? And I said, well, you don't want to barbecue wrong. So, so why not how to barbecue right? And so that's where that started. And I did a newsletter and I just, I just knew nobody was going to subscribe to or read a newsletter. I mean, who does that? Especially some guy that's not a, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm not a, I was never an English major in school or anything, but I started writing um, about the recipes and things that I was doing in the competition world. And people started subscribing at first. I think there was 10 or 15 then it built up to a hundred and then a thousand, you know, a few weeks go by and we've got a thousand people. I'm like, wow, a thousand people are subscribed to this newsletter and reading it. Cause it tells you how many open it and you know, and if they read it or not. So so we realized there was something there. And then we got to working with the company. Um, it was one of our Memphis MA sponsors that wanted us to capture some video and so they could share it on their website. And so we was like, sure, no problem. And so they're going to send us this little camera. It was called a flip cam. And, you know, it recorded it on it. And you could stick it in the USB and you could email it to them. Well, we took it to the contest and we started recording stuff. Well, back then, those files were so huge, there was no way to email them. There wasn't Dropbox or anything like that. So we said, what are we going to do? We're going to have to mail them this whole camera. Then they're going to have to get it back. And so my wife said, let me look into it. And so in her work, they'd been doing some video stuff. She said, there's this thing called YouTube. And it's a way for you to put videos up there. And then we can just grab the link and share it with them. And they can pull it from there and share it on their end. And so I was like, well, that'll work. Fantastic. It was free. There wasn't any charge for YouTube or anything. And so we started. We made us a little how to barbecue right YouTube channel. And we started putting that, 
that footage we were sharing on there with them. And then while we were doing that, instead of writing newsletters, um, she said, well, you just want to record, you know, you doing some stuff like a recipe and put on there and we could share it in our newsletter that we're still doing, but we could have this video too. And I was like, sure. I've never been in front of a camera. I didn't have any training. She didn't have any training <laughs> recording anything, but we did it. And it just, it was raw, man. We were doing it in our, in our kitchen. You know, we didn't edit most of it. It was just unfiltered and we learned as we went. And that's kind of, it took us, um, that was back, I guess. Wow. 11, 12 years ago. Um, I think we hit 1 million on YouTube a year or so ago and it took us like 10 years to do it. So it's, it's hard to put the exact date on it, but I think it was like 2010, something like that. If I had to say when we first started YouTube. And so it's, you know, it, we, our big thing on YouTube was we never stopped. Once we started making videos, we tried to be consistent and we tried to always put something out. No matter if people watched it, no matter if I got bad comments, it didn't matter. It was eyeballs looking at it. So. Yeah, there's always someone out there trying to put bad comments on things. It's, uh, it's just a cruel part of the world, I'm afraid. Um, so at how, how hard was it w when you did get started? I mean, 2010, technology wasn't great. There wasn't wireless microphones. Um, how, how hard was it to sort of start to make regular weekly video content? Oh, it was real hard. We didn't, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have any, we didn't have lights. We didn't have cameras. We didn't have mics. We had, um, we had the little flip video. We used that some, and then I think we graduated to like a little Sony handy cam that had a microphone built on it, but then there wasn't, you know, we, we didn't have easy way to edit it. Like now we use, um, MacBooks and they've got, you know, final cut or Adobe premiere. You've got these different programs that make it all easy. Well, back then we had one called Sony Vegas Studios, and it was the clunkiest, <laughs> most, you needed, you needed like an, an AV degree or some kind of special degree to run this program. But my wife figured out, you know, how to do some basic editing, basically cutting and, you know, just clipping stuff. And that was about all we did. And we tried to lengthen our video. We, we realized quick in YouTube that the videos that were between, you know, 10, 15 minutes kind of did the best. People didn't really have a much of an attention span over that 15 minute threshold on YouTube. So we tried to keep our video content, you know, in that time frame. Uh, we tried to always have the same kind of angles. We didn't try anything fancy. We did the best we could with the lighting we had indoor and outdoor. And we just, you know, we were, we were kind of balling on a budget, you know, <laughs> we didn't really have a budget. We used whatever we could. Um, then, then the, uh, iPhones came out. And the technology started getting really good on the iPhone cameras. And so we, we, a lot of it we did with our iPhones. Um, and then now, you know, I think we've, we've, we graduated up to using DSLR cameras and lapel mics and we use lights now and we use double camera angles. And so it's all, it's all kind of been a learning process, learn as we go. And that's kind of where, where we've taken it to uh, now and we've done the same thing with our podcast. <laughs> you know, we didn't, we didn't know anything about podcasting equipment other than we went to the MBBQA and we heard these guys talking about doing barbecue podcasts. And we said, well, you know, we can learn how to do that. So that's how we started that too. Yeah. Yeah. And you've, uh, you're certainly crushing it with the podcast as well. Anytime you type in barbecue podcast, there it is. You're right at the top of the list on the, uh, on the Google search rankings. I think the big thing with the podcast we learned was, was, uh, it was just like our YouTube videos. You have to be consistent. You know, 
there's there's certain amount of people that'll that'll they get used to you putting out content and they'll keep coming back and they'll tell people about it. And so that's the way we've kind of looked at our podcast too. It's a it's a great way for me and Rochelle to to catch up at the end of the week, kind of come up for air and just talk and be ourselves about the things we've done. And so that's really what the How to Barbecue Right podcast is. We talk about the recipes. We talk about the contest. We have guests on sometimes, but mainly it's just us hanging out and having a good time talking, you know, talking about what's going on in our lives. And so it's been great therapy for us. <laughs> we just let everybody listen to it. <laughs> it's, it's quality time for, uh, for, for you and your wife to bond and connect over barbecue. That's right. That's it. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Now you mentioned that it took about 10 years for you to hit uh, 1 million subscribers. You're currently sitting at about 1.3. Um, how, how long was it until you um, started uh, monetizing? Like when you hit that, that threshold on YouTube for monetizing? It took, it, it took us a long time. Our, our, our growth was slow because we didn't do the traditional way where people, you know, place ads and, do all that kind of stuff just because we didn't have the money to, we didn't have a budget for that. Um, so we, you know, we let it, we let it grow organically. I remember it took, um, several years before we ever got, I mean, the first, the monetizing thing wasn't that hard back then. I think you just had to have like a thousand subscribers and you had to have so many minutes back then. And so we reached, we reached that threshold probably within the first year, but to get it to that first hundred thousand, I remember it took like four years, four or five years. And then after that, it kind of grew exponentially. Like, you know, the next year it would be 200,000 and then it would go to 400,000 and then it was eight. So we knew we were on track to hit that million. But back when we first started, I told Rochelle, there's, there's no, there's not a million people that would watch a barbecue YouTube channel. I don't even know how we can, you know, I remember getting that first play button, the silver button. And I thought that was the, the most awesome thing. And that was as high as we could ever get. And so you know, it was like now, now we've got the gold button and we've got, we started another channel where we're fixing to be silver level on it already. It seems like right now people consume media more than they did uh, like on handheld devices and short form content. So you see, you see the growth on channels now way faster than you did back in the day. I mean, there's, there's guys that can throw a channel up now and you know, they're getting a hundred thousand just seems like overnight and they're getting to the million range, you know, in two years. It was like, that was, you know, that was hard to do back when we first started. And it's still growing, you know, it's still growing pretty steady now. You can see like just in a little over a year, it's what, 325 on ours. So we'll probably hit that 2 million range here another year and a half or so. If it keeps trajecting like it is. Yeah, that's exciting stuff, isn't it? So what's, what's after the gold play button? Does it go to platinum? It does. I think you have to get 10 million if I'm... Um, it's there's a diamond and I think there's a diamond and a platinum or something. You know, I, I don't look at those two closes. I said, that's never going to happen. <laughs> I like to say that. Then my wife can say, see, I told you so. So maybe one day, but I, I <laughs> yeah. Um, and so how, how long was it then un, until you could quit the day job? Um, well, I quit. I, I, I say I retired or quit my real job in 2010, right when I started YouTube. Oh wow! That was, it wasn't by it wasn't by choice. I was working um, in the architecture field, commercial architecture, and in 2008, I don't know if you guys had the turndown that we did, but we really had like a recession in the states, 
And so I was working with one firm, uh, you know, I hadn't been there very long, just a couple of years and they did a layoff. And so I got laid off and then I went to work for another firm in the Memphis area and they lasted to about 2010 and they, their business kind of ran out. Commercial construction still hadn't bounced back. And so I had a little bit of money saved up, got a decent severance package. And that was right when, you know, we still had our newsletter going and I'd just come out with my, the barbecue rub and was trying to sell it on our website. And I told Rochelle, I was like, look, we've got a little bit of money. We've got, we can make it for like nine months with the money we had in the bank, paying all our bills, groceries, every car notes, all that stuff. Let's do what we can and bust our tails for these nine months and see if we can get this off the ground and, you know, make a go of it. And so we did. And I haven't went back to, I haven't went back to a real job yet. Neither has she. She, she still had a real job for a little while during that, but she eventually, she, you know, she, she had to, it was, we, we got forced to have to do it because it was just me and her. We, all the content we were producing and putting out the contest we were cooking. Um, and then the, all of the packing and shipping and selling the product that we did, it was just me and her out of our garage. And so it was like 24 hours, seven days a week. We were, we were humping. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. You got to kind of bust your butts a bit when that sort of when that sort of thing happens. And um, I, I actually got into barbecue in a similar way. I was made redundant from my job and I found myself at home with a one-year-old baby. And I, and I went, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to learn how to cook everything outside because I'm not washing up saucepans and pans and that every night for dinner. So <laughs> that's how I got into it. Um, okay, now you, you mentioned that you and your wife um, were doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A lot of people think that when it comes to YouTube, it's, it's as easy as just filming and uploading. So what... What else is involved in the process of having a YouTube channel? Well, the big part of it, I guess, I mean, the, the planning of it is the main thing to me. I have to, so, you know, we kind of, we try to plan out our recipes way in advance of what we're going to do. I love to test them two or three times before I put something out there. It's very rare that I like to cook one, film it, and nothing, you know, it all goes right. <laughs> I can put it up. But um, it also, I mean, the filming, the cooking part's easy. I got the easiest job. Rochelle has the hardest job that we do because the editing of it is really, you know, that's what makes them, that's what makes it viewable. That's what makes people want to watch it. When you got your audio right and you got the lights right and you got the editing, the, the clips are right. And then it flows. It seems like something that's been produced a little bit. That's easier for someone to sit there and give 10 minutes to. And so for her, like if it takes us six to eight hours of filming, you know, over the course of a, of a cook, it might take her two and a half days to sit down and get it all edited and put back together. So our process usually starts on a Monday. Uh, Monday is usually film day. And then we've usually edit Tuesday and Wednesday and then try to release on Thursday if all goes right. And that's, that's, you know, still juggling the running our business and doing all that stuff. So her finding time to do all that. Uh, recently we've, we've been fortunate enough to, to be able to hire some help a little bit. So we've got Tyler, who I guess you were been in communications with. He kind of runs our social now, but he's learning how to edit our videos and help us with a lot of that. And then we've hired some interns too. So it's, you know, we figured out that we can't do it all. And it's, you know, and, and there's a, there's so much more goes into it than just filming you cook something and loading it to YouTube. That's what, you know, I guess, I guess a lot of people have that preconception that, that it, oh man, you're just cooking and filming and putting it up there. But it's a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah. I've, some of the uh, conservative estimates I've heard is that it's about one hour of editing for each minute of footage of the of, of final footage. I would believe that. I would say that's you know real close to being accurate. 
Yeah, so about a 10-minute video is about 10 hours of editing work. Yeah. It, it depends on how good you are. Like, I mean, I guess some people could knock it out, but then, you know, we're we're, prob- we're probably on the slower end. I don't know. I can't speak. Rochelle's bad to the bone. She, she's, she's got it down now. You give her some quiet time and a headset, and she's, she's, she goes to it. So. Yeah. Now, um, a bit of a curious question. Have you ever had a disastrous video? Like you've, you've spent all day shooting, you go back and you look at the footage and you go, oh, I can't use that. I had one involving Foster's beer. I was oh, doing, really? Doing beer can turkey. And I didn't get to release the video. I never went back and did it. Man, I had these beautiful, these beautiful turkeys I was doing. It was around Thanksgiving time here in, in the States. And, uh, you know, they, had, they, they were golden. The seasoning was perfect on the outside. I had them sitting on top of the big Foster's oil can, you know, the big beer can. That was, they was going to do the, and then the last 30 minutes, I don't know if some bad wood, I put some bad wood in the grill and didn't realize it or what happened, but these turkeys turned jet black. I'm talking black as the curtain behind you. And I was like, man, we spent, you know, six hours on this film and cook and everything going right. There was no salvaging. So we had to scrap that one. And I've had a couple like that. Another one comes to mind was a, a venison meatloaf and it just didn't turn out. It looked just, it looked like dog food. And I was like, I can't, you know, I, I would, you try to go through this and make things, you know, turn out the best they can. And, and I'd done the recipe before and it did all right, but something that day just didn't happen. And it was like, once we go back and she lets me watch it, I was like, you can't put this out there. I look like a fool. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> so, so we watch everything, you know, there's been some hiccups along the way, but uh, there's been more success stories than, than heartache, I guess. And what do you do in that situation? Do you like jump in the truck and run straight back down to HEB and grab something else and come home and film that? At that point, we're probably cursing each other. <laughs> Had enough? No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't do anything else. That was scrapped. It. We're not releasing this week. You know, we break our rule. Don't put one out. But it just it happens like that sometimes. It's not yeah. always you know. It's not always roses. There's there's ups and downs. Anyway. <laughs> And every rose has its thorn too, as they say. So how many, um, exactly. how many cooking videos have you put out to date and how do you keep um, finding new ideas and new inspiration? Man, I don't know. Um, I would say upwards in the 300s maybe. I don't, it probably says on my YouTube. I really don't. I can grab my phone. Let me, let me just, that's a good curiosity has me. If we click on YouTube and we search Malcolm Reed. I counted 200 on your YouTube channel yesterday. But uh, I I I figured that there was probably more. Yeah, it says five hundred and thirty six videos. Now I don't know how many of those include some podcast or you know they're probably not all recipes, but that's how many uploads YouTube gives us credit for five hundred and thirty six. Um, the inspiration for them, I you know, I keep a running spreadsheet of ideas and recipes that I want to develop. So I've I can remember at being back as far as a child, my grandmother's and my mother having, having cookbooks. And I've always been fascinated by recipes and cookbooks. A lot of these were like the church lady cookbooks that, you know, you would see little community cookbooks, things like that. They always had interesting recipes in them. And so I would find myself going through those cookbooks and, you know, and just seeing stuff that sounded cool. So I was, as an adult, when I started, you know, cooking and doing stuff in the kitchen and on the grills and smokers, I still, you know, have a, have a, a love for cookbooks. I, you know, if something new comes out, I usually buy that cookbook and I go through it. So I get inspiration from those, seeing what other guys have done. So, you know, taking some of the stuff and, 
you know, turning it into my own, putting my spin on it or seeing if it will work with a different protein or just running ideas. And so with, with that going on and YouTube and barbecue forums and all the stuff, there's never like a lack of inspiration now. I don't think so. As long as you take the time and kind of make a mental note or jot it down some kind of way, you can go back to that and develop recipes from it. So that's what I've had a lot of success with, keeping myself on track by having a list. Yeah, that's interesting. It's all it, The key is so often uh, organization, isn't it? There's people out there that just hate being organized and they just sort of fizzle out. And it's the ones that are like, hey, I've got a spreadsheet. They're the ones that sort of seem to, seem, seem to be able to keep going. Um, so what, what advice would you have for someone starting out um, a YouTube barbecue cooking channel now in 2021? You know, I would, the, the best advice is jump in and get started. Don't worry about what somebody else is going to think about the content you're putting out. Do it because you like it. You don't have to be a professional. You can learn as you go. Um, the, uh, the, the great thing about YouTube is it's really niche. There's going to, you're going to find people can, there's a lot of people interested in the same things you're interested in that you may never have known. They could be on different continents and different places in the world. But if you, if you don't start, you never find out. Um, you know, and once you start, I say, just get on a routine schedule. It doesn't have to be weekly. Um, you know, if you could do biweekly, you could do monthly, but you want to get on a regular schedule of putting out content that gets you in the habit of going through the drill, coming up with your recipe, figuring out your film day, giving you time to edit it and figuring out what day you're going to load it up. All the other stuff, the technical stuff that comes with it, the, you know, using the right keywords and, and doing all the tagging and all that stuff. That's all stuff you can learn. Nobody knows all that from the get go when they're first starting, but there's great tutorial videos. YouTube does a lot with like, like their YouTube university where you can, when you sign up, you can go watch videos on that and see what people suggest. But there's a ton of, I mean, to me, YouTube is probably one of the great resources we have now as humans on this planet. If you can't find it on YouTube, something's wrong. You need to make it. You need to make a video on it because someone more than likely someone's done it, you know? So there's a, the best thing I think is just have fun with it. Don't take it too seriously. Don't get your feelings hurt. If you don't get subscribers right away, cause you gotta, you know, you gotta crawl before you walk. It's just like anything. So I think if you, if you have a passion for it and you want to take the time to do it, man, jump right in and get started. Alrighty, there you have it, family. That was, of course, the one and only Malcolm Reed. How cool was that? And what an opportunity to have Malcolm here on the show with us. Now, that is about all the time we do have for today. So, until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.